Welcome to the Frederick Seventh-day Adventist Church podcast, your place for positive, uplifting messages of hope. If you'd like to learn more about the church, you can feel free to drop by fredericksdachurch.org. Now here's Pastor Robert Quintana with today's message. So last week we started on a sermon series on forgiveness. And last week is one of those uh, messages where most everyone loves to hear. I mean, who doesn't like to hear about God's forgiveness towards us? Really? I mean, who does not like to hear the gospel story, the good news that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and for my sins, and it doesn't matter how far you've strayed away, it doesn't matter how far you've gone. It doesn't matter where you think you are right now. It doesn't matter what addictions you might be struggling with. It is good to know that we serve a God that says, come to me as you are. And I will give you eternal life. I will give you everything that your heart deep down inside desires. That is a good message to hear. And so when we hear that message, man, we leave out of here excited. We leave out of here empowered. We leave out of here just thrilled to know that we serve a God that isn't up there just looking to see when we mess up, but that we serve a God who is looking down on us with compassion with patience, with long-suffering, with, with mercy and grace. You might remember the, the passage that we shared last week. It's found in Micah chapter 7, verse 18. Micah says, who is a God like you? Micah's having a hard time understanding this, grasping this. Who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage. You might remember from last, uh, from last time we met, um, if, if you weren't here, um, you can go on our website, you can download it, you can listen to it. But I just want to kind of sum it up just a little bit because you might remember how here Micah is referring back to when the people of Israel were in Egypt. Just a couple of verses before that, it says, as in the days when you came out of the land of Egypt. So here Micah is talking about an experience that had already taken place. He's saying, do you remember? Do you remember when you were in Egypt? And then he says this amazing sentence, this amazing passage, and passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage, the 10th plague. God came to Moses and said, Moses, tell the people to take a perfect lamb to sacrifice that lamb, and to put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost of their home. And when the angel of death comes by, if he sees the blood of the lamb on the doorpost, the angel of death will pass over that home and not bring destruction to that home. And of course, we relate that to us here today. And God says that Jesus is that perfect lamb. And that in that perfect lamb, we can find the refuge that we seek. That when we give our lives to Christ, it is like putting the blood of Christ on the doorposts of our hearts, on our lives. And so when judgment comes, 
He will not see our sins, no. He will see the blood of Christ covering our lives. And the angel of death will pass over. And here Micah is just so overwhelmed. He is just so thrilled. Who is a God like you pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. He will again have compassion on us and he will subdue our iniquities. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. That is good news. That is an exciting message. We love to hear that. But the story goes on. And the story might get a little bit more complicated for us. You see, because the Bible also teaches us that as we have been forgiven, so we need to forgive others. And that is hard. That is very difficult for us to do. When we talk about forgiveness, especially in the realm of forgiving others, there are two things that you will struggle with. There are two major issues that you will be at war with. And those two things are, is our desire to be God. You might remember that the original sin The thing that got us into this mess to begin with was the temptation to be God. And there is a struggle that a lot of us go through day in and day out where we want to play the role of God. We might see someone walk in and immediately we criticize. Immediately we want to condemn. Immediately we want to convict them of whatever sin we think they are dealing with. And so we want to stand in the place of God sometimes by bringing that conviction to someone's life. The second thing that we will struggle with in the realm of forgiveness or forgiving others is surrender. Or shall I say the attitude of not wanting to surrender, the desire not wanting to surrender. You see, because here in this context, here we are, we're surrounded by Christian believers, and if 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 the music is just right and the message speaks to our hearts, yeah, we might raise our hands and say, God, I surrender, I surrender all, but it's all different Monday morning when someone cuts us off and all of a sudden we want to say something that we know the Bible tells us that we shouldn't say. The Bible teaches us that we should speak words that build up and not tear down. Monday morning on the way to work, we're at war. Do I surrender and not say what what I want to say or do I surrender to the will of God? We battle with that. We war with that. Wanting to do our will versus God's will. It is hard for us to sometimes surrender. Man, that 55-inch LED HD TV is so hard. Awesome. But the Bible teaches, God teaches me that it's not good for me to go into debt and we're at war. Do I carry out my will or do I surrender to God's will for my life? And these two things, 
never are more in play than when we talk about surrendering, when we talk about giving up that place that is only God's, when we talk about the arena of forgiving other people, forgiving our neighbors, forgiving our children, forgiving our spouses, forgiving our co-workers. Those two things will be at war whenever we talk about forgiving others. And the reason why this is such a difficult subject to talk about is because of these two things warring on in our lives. Because there's a part of us that says, I want to be God. Maybe not all the time, but maybe for just one day. We're, we're warring with that. We're warring with me wanting to do my will versus what God is asking of me. And when we talk about forgiveness, forgiving others, man, those two things really just come to the forefront and we struggle and we wrestle with it. And oftentimes we do not surrender We do not allow God to take his rightful place. And as a result, we live year after year after year in prison, in this bondage, not understanding why am I not receiving this freedom that the Bible talks about? Why don't I have this hope that the Bible is talking about? Why don't I have that peace that God has promised me? We war with these things, especially in the realm of forgiving others. Now listen, I don't want to minimize some of the awful things that have been done to you. I don't want to minimize that in in the least. Because some of the things that have been done to you, it is hard for me to even mention from up front. Because some of the things that have been done to you, whether it was a father or a mother, whether it was a husband or a wife or in a relationship, whether a co-worker, some of the things that have been directed to you have hurt and they have hurt deeply. They have caused some really deep wounds. And so I don't want to minimize that. But I hope that as we study this area of forgiveness, you might be able to see things from a different perspective that will help you not only find the healing that you seek, the peace that you are after, but at the same time help whoever else might be in your life that's causing this pain. Because you need to realize that we serve a God that's all about redemption and restoration and healing. And all I'm asking today is that as we consider this area of forgiving others, all I'm asking is that we just consider what God is asking us to do. And yes, we will have to step out in faith, understanding and trusting that God is in control and that God has everyone's best interest in mind. I want you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18, it is an amazing story. It's one of those stories that's really hard to swallow. I mean, not so much when you're reading the story. As you're reading the story, you're thinking, oh, this is cute. This is awesome. Until it gets to the end and God, Jesus here, gives you the point and he says, all right, now this is how I want you to apply this story to your life. And then you're like, whoa, whoa, wait, wait, wait a second. 
Matthew chapter 18, starting with verse 21. I'm reading from the New King James Version. Matthew chapter 18, starting with verse 21. Then Peter came to him, that's Jesus, and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Now, see, Peter thought he was being cute when he said up to seven times. You know, Peter has a habit of sticking his foot in his mouth. And this time, no doubt, Peter thought, oh, man, I'm really going to impress Jesus with this one. I mean, why didn't Peter just ask the question and shut up? I mean, why do you think he felt the need to answer his own question? And so he says to Jesus, how many times do I need to forgive my brother? Zip it. Listen. But Peter, no, no. I'm going to impress Jesus with this one up to seven times. You see, the Jewish custom was that you forgive someone three times. And after that, you were under no obligation to continue forgiving them. And so, makes sense. I mean, put yourself in Peter's shoes. Three times, times it by two, six, and I'm going to throw one in for good measure. Seven times. Jesus, how many times should we forgive our neighbor? Seven times? And Jesus responds, (laughs) as he often does, by flooring us. In verse 23, in verse 22, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. I mean, try and swallow that one. Can you imagine Peter? Imagine the disciples, his apostles, his followers listening to this. Say, what? What do you mean 70 times 7? That's 490 times. Are you kidding me? Jesus says, no, I'm not. Now, a couple of years ago, I I really dove deep into this text. And I don't have time to do that today, but I encourage you to to surf around the internet on our website. Go back to where we break down this text because my, my understanding of this text is that Jesus here is referring to an Old Testament prophecy found in Daniel chapter 9. And in that prophecy, God tells Daniel that I will determine or set aside 490 years for the people of Israel to get their act together, to get things straight. And so here I believe that Jesus is, is making a reference back to the Old Testament. And in a, in a roundabout way, he's telling Peter here, he's saying, Peter, wait a second. You're asking me how many times you need to forgive your neighbor seven times? Buddy, are you kidding me? 490 years we've been patient and long-suffering and extending grace and forgiveness on your people for 490 years. I'm not sure that Peter got that at that point. 
Maybe Matthew here, uh, Matthew often referred back to the Old Testament because his, his purpose was to try and get the Jews to understand that Jesus was the Christ. And, and so maybe when, when Matthew was writing this, maybe he did understand the connection with the Old Testament prophecy in Daniel, the 490 years. But Jesus goes on and tells this very interesting story. Starting in verse 23, it says, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, see, that wouldn't be that big of a number. We can kind of wrap our minds around that if that meant $10,000. Now, for some of us here, that's a big number. Like, I can't come up with $10,000 right now. And if I owed someone $10,000, well, you need to put me on a payment plan, 1.9 APR. I mean, let's just try and make this work, okay? But in today's day and age... 10,000 talents is the equivalent of around, are you ready for this? $3 billion. That is how much this guy owed his master. I have no idea what he did to accumulate this kind of debt. Now, chances are that this isn't a true story. After all, it is a parable. Jesus here is sharing this story to get across a point. But it would do us well to pay close attention to the points that Jesus is trying to make here. And one of the points that he's trying to make is that the servant owes a lot. I mean, $3 billion. Do you know how much $3 billion is? I mean, can anyone wrap their mind around three billion? I know there are some wealthy people in this community, and you might be worth one, two, five million. Uh, maybe you're up to like 10 or 12, I don't know. But do you know how much a billion is? I mean, a billion is 1,000 millions. So you have 999 million and then one billion. Now you add on top of that 2 billion and then 3 billion. That's a lot of money. That is a huge debt. Humongous. And it says here that he owed 10,000 talents, verse 25. But as he was not able to pay, duh, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had then and that payment be made. Verse 26, the servant therefore fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me and I will pay you all. In other words, Lord, please have compassion on me. Have mercy on me. Be patient with me. I will pay you this debt. Not likely. If you run the figures, it would have taken him 200,000 years to pay off this debt. 200,000 years to pay off this debt. And so the master in verse here in verse 27, then the master of that servant was moved 
with, what is that word? Compassion. I love that word. Now, folks, I hope that by now you're starting to put the characters into this story. Like, I hope you're identifying who these characters are. The master obviously being God. This servant who has this huge debt. Hate to break it to you if you haven't figured it out yet, but that's you. That's me. That's us. That this this huge debt that we have accumulated because of the sin in our lives. It is a humongous debt. And here in verse 27, it says that the master of the servant was moved with compassion. And isn't that the picture that we have of God, of Jesus Christ, throughout all of Scripture? Throughout all of Scripture, it is a God who has compassion on his people. Yes, you continue to sin. Yes, you continue to turn your backs on me. Yes, you continue to hurt me. But I will once again have compassion on you and I will forgive this debt. And thank God that through Jesus Christ, God can do that. Because Jesus Christ paid for that debt on the cross, God can look down on us and see that we are covered by the blood of Christ, by the purchase of God, and God can say, that debt was paid for. I forgive you of that debt. And here it says that he has compassion. And then it says that he went on to say, release him and forgave him the debt. Now, I want you to put yourself in that position. Put yourself in those shoes. Here you have this debt that that you know in your hearts of heart you cannot pay back. There is just no way that you can pay this debt back. Just think of yourself at the bank. And here you are sitting across the banker, the lender. And right there in front of you is the mortgage of your home, and you're trying to refinance, you're trying to finagle, you're trying to work it out so that you can pay back this debt that you think, man, I'm weighing over my head. I don't know what I was thinking. And you're you're bargaining with them and and you're saying, look, um, you know, 3.9 is too much. Can we go down to 1.9? And you're trying to figure out a way to clear this debt or to make this debt manageable. And then the lender sitting across the desk says, you know what? My heart's just filled with compassion right now. I mean, I I just, there's just no way that you're ever going to be able to pay this back, especially with the market and your house is tanked and you're underwater right now. You're just, you're never going to get back and and you're just going to pay for, you know, you're going to have to pay for it. Your children's children are going to have to pay on it. Your children's children, children are going to have to pay on this. And and my heart is just filled with compassion. And so he takes the deed, he takes the the, the contract and he just exits out and he just puts on it paid in full forgiven. And he says, don't worry about it. You don't have to pay for it. You're forgiven. You you have the house. No more mortgage payments. How will you feel at that moment? 
Come on. How will you feel at that moment having gone to the bank, thinking that you were going to have to pay this somehow, some way, and, and I don't know, the president of Bank of America comes out and says, I've, had, I've seen you're, you're clear, you're forgiven. How are you going to feel? Great, awesome. Is anybody going to leap for joy? Is anybody going to call their, their spouse, their family, their friends? You are not going to believe what just happened to me. My debt has been cleared in full. I don't have to pay it back. You will be so overjoyed that you will not be able to put a lid on it. You would be so happy. I mean, you would leave that bank as if you were on cloud nine. We're talking about a mortgage. Earthly possession. Things that have no eternal value. And yet, God has paid the ultimate price for your eternal salvation. I mean, we got to put things in perspective here. There are some things in life that bring so much joy. And it just, it, it just, I'm just confused sometimes as to why we would go on and on and on about this awesome movie that we saw that just came out and and you have to see this movie you have to go see it It, i've already seen it 20 times but yet when someone says are you a christian oh well yeah i mean yeah uh what church do you go to oh well you know it's a small church Why are you a Christian? Well, yeah, my parents were, and I grew up in the church. And You go to church on Sabbath? Well, what do you do? Well, we can't watch TV, and we can't do... <laughs> we serve such an awesome God who has paid the debt, that has paid the bounty, that was on your head and my head. He has set us free. And when we leave this place, when we close the word of God, when we come up off of our knees, we should be so overwhelmed with joy that no one can hold us back from telling someone what Jesus Christ has done in our lives. This servant, he must have not got it. I mean, he must have not realized the debt that had just been forgiven. Maybe he just wasn't aware of it. I, I just don't understand. Maybe his selfishness was so big because the story goes on and it says here in verse 28, But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. That's the equivalent of about a thousand dollars today. Now, I know a thousand dollars is a lot for some of us. But a thousand dollars compared to 
3 billion? And, and I'm not minimizing or I'm not wanting to minimize that $1,000 because that $1,000 for some of you represents deep hurt. I understand that. I mean, I, you know, th- that $1,000 might represent for you a father walking out on you when you were young. And as a result, you've been carrying that anger and that resentment for years and years. That $1,000 for you might represent someone um, abusing you for years and years and you not being able to tell anyone. That $1,000, I'm not wanting to minimize the hurt that it brings, but we need to put things in perspective here. But you see, when we talk about forgiving others, there are two things we start warring with. The first is taking the place of God, and two, whether or not we're going to surrender. It says here in verse 29, so his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him saying, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. I mean, here you have, uh, you have someone who's repentant. Here you have someone who's asking for forgiveness. He's fallen to his knees. He is begging just like he had just done a little bit ago in front of the master. And he is asking God, please. He's saying, please forgive me. I will pay you back this thousand dollars. I promise. In verse 30, it says, and he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what he had done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. And then verse 35, this is the one that that really is hard for us to swallow. So my heavenly father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother's trespasses. Now, this isn't the only time in Scripture this theme occurs or this, this subject of forgiving others. You know, I mean, if this was the only place in all of Scripture that it said this, you know, I might be tempted to just kind of write it off or justify it one way or the other and say, you know, and it's no big deal. You know, he only talked about it once. But this is something that keeps on coming up time and time and time again. I mean, let's just look at a couple of these. If you go to Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 6, we, we pray it all the time. For those of us that grew up in the church, we, we recite this all the time. Do we even know what we're saying? Matthew chapter 6, verse 12. Here we are, the Lord's Prayer. Most of us here can quote this by memory from beginning to end, but there in the middle... Verse 12, it says, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. In other words, 
the way that I forgive others, Lord, you forgive me. Now, all of a sudden, I'm, <laughs> wait a second, because I don't like the standard that I've been putting up. I mean, it really makes me rethink the way I treat others and the way I go about forgiving others, the way I go about letting things go when someone wrongs me. And if, he, and if that's not clear enough, let's read verse 13 and 14. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Someone in the front row just said, ouch. Ouch is right. It's hard to swallow. It's fun to talk about how God forgives us, but then when we put that into practice, it's hard for us. Now listen, I have purposefully, purposefully decided to talk about this principle. I've purposefully looked at the teaching, the principle, because how it, how it, applies in each and every situation is different. We can't start small on this one and go up. It is impossible. The only way to figure this out is if we start big and go small. So here you have this principle, you have this teaching that Jesus says, listen, I have excused this huge debt that you accumulated to me Now, I want you to go and forgive those who have accrued a debt against you. Now, how that applies in your life is different from scenario to scenario, from circumstance to circumstance. Because this is, I believe, one of the most understood subjects in all of Scripture is this area of forgiveness and how we go about forgiving others. Sometimes we don't forgive someone because of pride, because of selfishness. Other times we don't forgive someone because, well, what am I going to do alone? If I do something about this, if I stand up and if, if, I, if I actually hold them accountable, then where does that leave me? Let me see if I can explain this a little bit to you by, by this analogy. Let's say that you're in a boxing ring. And you're in that boxing ring. And you're throwing punches. All right? And man, the person that you're in that ring with is just throwing punches back. And you are a bloody mess. I mean, you are getting your tail whooped. And you're thinking to yourself, where is this peace? Where is this freedom? I mean, where is this hope? It's just not working. And the harder they punch you, the harder you feel you got to punch back. And man, I'm not leaving this ring until I get mine, until I prove to them. And here you are fighting this fight. And all the while, Jesus is on the outside of the ring saying, let me Fight the battle 
for you. Let me in the ring. You don't need to fight this fight anymore. Let me fight it for you. And so here, here's what forgiveness is, okay? This is how forgiveness plays out in our lives. Someone wrongs me, I say, I am not going to pass judgment or condemnation on you. I am letting God do that. You are releasing it to God. And this is now why that verse makes a little sense when God says, guys, vengeance is mine. Okay, so here you are in this ring. You're getting beat and, and, and our selfish desire, what our selfish desire says is, I want to I hit back. I mean, I really want, I want them to feel the hurt that they're putting me through. Forgiveness says, I'm stepping out of the ring and I'm letting Jesus fight my battles. I'm letting Jesus fight my battles for me. It is not my responsibility to convict anyone of sin. I'm not standing in the place of God on this one. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit convicts people of sin. But you're removing yourself from that situation and you're saying, I'm, I'm forgiving you. I am putting Jesus in the ring. But this is what happens sometimes. We then sit on the sidelines and say, come on, Jesus. Mm, just give it to them. Uppercut, uppercut. <laughs> we need to surrender. We need to surrender it and we need to say, you know what? God knows best. God knows how to handle the situation. And so I am not putting myself in the place of God on this one. I'm going to allow God to take care of it. And at the same time, I surrender what I think needs to happen. And I'm just going to let God deal with it the way that he knows it needs to happen. You see, so many of us, we want to fight the battle. And as a result, we carry these wounds. We carry this baggage from year to year to year. And at some point, you need to stop the fight and you need to surrender it. You need to stop taking the place of God and you need to say, God, I forgive them. It doesn't mean that what they've done is right. It doesn't mean that what they're doing is correct. It doesn't mean that all of a sudden you are dissolving themselves of any kind of responsibility to be better. No, what you are saying is, I am putting it in your hands because I no longer want to carry this weight around. It belongs to you, Jesus. And I'm going to stop playing the role of God and I'm going to surrender my will to yours. You know, we live close to this, uh, um, to Pennsylvania where, where this happened. And you might remember back in October of, of 2006, a man by the name of Charles Carl Roberts IV walked into a one-room school in an Amish community with a bunch of duct tape and rope, and we really don't know what his intentions were. We just know that before the the authorities could get there. He had shot 10 students, killing five of them. You might remember this story. I mean, it was all over the news. 
What was so remarkable about this story is how the Amish community responded to that attack. In some arenas, you could hear announcers say, this is unheard of. This isn't right. In some arenas, you hear, this is an unbelievable display of forgiveness. But when you look at what the Amish community did, there's a part of us that says, man, that doesn't make any sense. Because almost synonymous with Amish community during that time was the word forgiveness. A grandfather of one of the little girls that was shot was overheard that very same day speaking to some of the other children in the community, saying to them, we must not think evil of this man. We must not think evil of this man. That same day, within days, that Amish community had gone to the house of this man to reach out to the family and to the parents and to pray with them and to sit down with them and and say with them, you know, we do not hold this against you. We forgive what took place. We forgive you. We want to reconcile this. We want there to be restoration and redemption. Now, some of you might think that is ludicrous. I mean, that is crazy. If someone came in and shot my child, I would never, ever forgive them. And you might not ever forgive them. But I promise you that you will live in a prison for the rest of your life. You will carry that weight and you will be unrest. You will be unpeace. All of these things that you long for, you will not have because you will carry that. But instead, we can learn from this Amish community because they took a page out of the Bible when it comes to forgiveness. And what they said that day was, it's in God's hands. We trust in God. You may not know this, but 10 days after the shooting, they came in and they tore down the entire school. They demolished the entire school. Right now, if you go back to that site, all you will see is a quiet, peaceful pasture of where that shooting took place. Six months to the day of that shooting, they opened their new school. Completely different. They purposefully designed the building completely different from the one that where the shooting took place. A different floor plan, uh, different windows. Just it was completely different. And they renamed the school. Does anybody know what the name of the new school is? To this day. New Hope. New Hope School. The Amish community... They understand something about forgiveness that I think we can learn from. That it really does us no good to hold on to the trespasses or the debts or the wrongs committed towards us. That really the best thing that we can do is to look at God, look at Christ and and understand what he has done for us. 
and understanding his forgiveness for us, we then say, you know what? I too will forgive. It doesn't mean that you're going to enable. It doesn't mean that you're going to justify. It doesn't mean that you're going to stay in that situation. What you're saying is, I am turning things over to God. I am letting him take care of it. I'm going to stop playing the role of God, and I am going to begin to surrender and trust in him. Because when you do that, the result is hope. Amish community, they named their school New Hope. Forgiveness, my friends, brings hope. It brings hope of healing. Not only in your lives, but in the lives of the one who committed that offense towards you. It brings hope of restoration, of redemption. It brings hope of healing. It brings the hope of peace and the hope of all the things that we desire and long for in life. It brings hope. And that is what I want for all of us, is that as we battle with whether or not to forgive someone or not, you need to wrestle with these two things. One, I'm going to stop playing the role of God. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. And the second thing, I'm going to surrender. I'm going to surrender this situation to him. When you do that, you set yourself free and you live with the hope that only God can place in your life. And I know, I mean, I know that there are some of us here today that are carrying junk that were done to us 20, 30 years ago. And as a result, our current relationships struggle. As a result, we neglect service to the church because of it. As a result, we don't love our wives or our husbands as we should. We carry this around, and as a result, we live in this prison, and it just cripples us from living the life that God wants for us. God is telling us here today, take a page out of my book. Just look at the way I have forgiven you. Take that joy and go forgive others in your life. Set you free. No matter where you are in your spiritual journey, Frederick's Seventh-day Adventist Church would love to help you along the way. We are a family-oriented, grace-filled church serving the Frederick, Maryland area. You can feel free to learn more about us at fredericksdachurch.org. For more podcasts, click on Sermon Audio.